in this message series entitled Accelerate, we're looking at five habits that accelerate our spiritual growth. And we've considered, first of all, the habit of prayer. And then we talked two weeks ago about the habit of gathering together as a church. And then last week I spoke on the habit of keeping the Sabbath. And I've asked Adam to speak on the habit of reading the Bible because Adam is not a pastor. He's not on staff. And I know when I talk about reading the Bible, maybe in your mind you think, well, he kind of has to. I mean, it, it, it's his job. So if I had a job and that was my job, then I would read the Bible. But this is not Adam's job. Adam is, is a lawyer. Uh, he's married, has three little kids, so has absolutely almost no free time. And this has become uh, very much a part of his life. Adam is a new member to our advisory team. Uh, he and his wife, Laura, have been a part of Seabreeze for about four and a half years. As I said, they have three children. So I'm excited to have Adam speak to us this morning about this happening. I think it's going to be very helpful. So let's uh, welcome Adam as he comes to speak. Adam. Thanks. All right. Good morning. Today, we're continuing with Accelerate, our series on the habits of spiritual growth. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at certain practices which if we commit to doing them regularly, to making habits out of them, have the power to not only help us grow closer to God, but actually grow to be more like Him. And the Bible calls this godliness. Our theme verse for this series is 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, which says, "'Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come.'" So this past Sunday morning, 15,000 people ran in the Surf City Marathon, which is held here in Huntington Beach every year on Super Bowl Sunday. And people came from all 50 states and 17 different countries. And I was not one of these people, but (laughs) my guess is that all 15,000 of them had two things in common. They had the right tools and they had the right habits. Because if you want to train for a marathon first, you need the right tools. You'd probably, well, I I imagine, you'd probably want to get a good pair of running shoes. Um, You'd probably want to download one of those training plans that tells you how far you have to run to build up the 26 miles. Download one of those apps that keeps track of your runs. But then you would need the habits. You've actually got to get in the habit, getting up, putting on your fancy shoes, and putting in the miles. It doesn't matter how good your tools are if you don't have the habits. And there are several verses in the Bible that compare growing in godliness to running a race. Because like training for a big run, to grow in godliness, you need the right tools and the right habits. So this week, the tool we're talking about is the Bible. And the habit we're talking about is the habit of Bible study, the discipline of carving out time to read the Bible, God's Word, for yourself. And this is actually my Bible. And as Bibles go, it's a pretty good one. It's got good thick paper, it's got a real leather cover, so that's nice. But other than that, it's just a regular Bible. In fact, I counted, and in our house, we have nine Bibles. Nine Bibles for five people, and three of them can't even read. So (laughs) not only that, but on my phone, I've got three Bible apps. So I can pull up the Bible in dozens of different translations anywhere I am. And we're surrounded by all these Bibles because we live in a unique time and place in history. It's only been possible for everyone to own their own copy of the Bible for a few centuries. Before the printing press, they were just too expensive for everyone to have their own. And then to have several Bibles in different translations and formats, 
that only goes back a few decades. But of course, being able to read and research the entire Bible from a tiny computer in your pocket, that only goes back a few years. And in large parts of the world, owning a Bible is illegal. I could be arrested or even killed for owning a Bible. So we are really blessed to live in a time and place where the Bible is not only completely legal, it's also accessible like never before in human history. I can read God's Word anytime, anywhere. But unfortunately, the downside of Bibles being so common is that we tend to treat them like they're common. So they gather dust on bookshelves or we put them away in boxes in the back of the garage and we don't read them. But the reality is, this is the most precious thing I own. Now, don't get me wrong, if my house burns down, I'm not going back for it, okay? It has no economic value. But when you think about what it really is, it's priceless. God gave us a whole book about what He's like and what He values, and He invites us to read it so that He can help us. He can help us grow in godliness and grow to know Him better, and you can't put a price on that. But I haven't always felt that way. I've been a Christian now about 19 years, and for the first several years, I had no interest in making Bible study a habit. I didn't see any value in it. I didn't need it. I even found the idea kind of off-putting, because when I became a Christian, it was because I loved the idea that God's grace and forgiveness were completely free. I couldn't work for it, couldn't earn it, didn't have to pay it back. God accepted me just as I was, now and forever. I was all in for that. But then I started hearing people at church talk about how they would get up early every morning and read their Bible every day. And I thought, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. I thought the people doing this were completely missing the point. They were trying to earn God's approval, or they were trying to pay God back for saving them. I just saw it as an, an obligation, as a ritual, the, the kind of thing that had always turned me off from religion. So I was convinced I didn't need to read the Bible. Um, I could have a healthy relationship with God just by going to church, listening to sermons, being in a small group, maybe going on a mission trip every once in a while. That was enough. But eventually it dawned on me that I didn't really have a relationship with God. I was just really into going to church. Okay? Church was my hobby. And finally, about 10 years ago, I joined up with a group of four other Christian guys, and we held each other accountable to reading the Bible five days out of the week. And we would get together on Monday nights in our pastor's garage and just compare notes on how it had gone, um, what God had been teaching us in that time. And through this, I started seeing tangible differences that this made in my life. And that's when it started to become a habit. So I want to do two things this morning. First, we'll talk about why. Why the habit of reading God's Word is a worthy use of your time. Why it's worth fighting for. And second, we'll look at some practical ways to study the Bible so that you can get some traction on making this a habit. And of course, there are several reasons why reading the Bible is so important. But we're just going to focus on two this morning. The first why is experience. One of the most important reasons to cultivate this habit is that as we read God's Word, we experience God working in our lives. And what I mean by experience is that as we read God's Word for ourselves, we start seeing the real practical ways that God works in our lives. We experience it firsthand. 
we start seeing how the grace of God isn't just a comforting idea. God is acting graciously towards us in real specific ways, and He's training us, helping us grow in godliness. And if we're not reading the Bible for ourselves, we're missing out on that experience. And this is something that Jesus Himself talks about. In the Bible, there are four biographies of Jesus' life, is what we call the Gospels. And one of these biographies tells us what Jesus prayed on the night He was arrested, just hours before He was put on trial and crucified. So with His death just hours away, what does Jesus pray about? He prays for us. He prays for His followers and all of the followers in the centuries to come. And this is part of what He asks His Father. In John 17, "'Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth.'" When Jesus says in this verse, make them holy, what he's saying is, train them, help them to know you, refine them to be more like you. And how does Jesus say this happens? By your truth, by God's word, which he graciously gave us. And listening to messages on Sunday morning is a non-negotiable part of this. Gathering together as a community to hear the Bible read and explained has incredible spiritual power. But God is offering to meet with us and speak to us through His Word any day of the week, not just Sundays. And what Jesus tells us is that spending time with God isn't some dry religious ritual. It's how God trains us. This is a crucial part of how He works in our lives, growing our faith and refining our values and our character. And earlier I mentioned that for the first several years of my life as a Christian, I blew off reading the Bible. And I remember so often during that time, just being paralyzed by doubt. I would lie awake at night wondering if my sins and my struggles had taken me past the point of no return and God had given up on me. I wondered if I was even a Christian anymore. And I would wonder, why isn't God speaking to me? Why, why won't He help me? But, but He was speaking to me all the time. He gave me His words in the Bible, but I just wasn't reading them. So God's commitment to me and His love for me were just abstract ideas that didn't give me any comfort in the middle of the night. And it didn't happen immediately, but as God has helped me make a habit of reading the Bible, that's not something I struggle with anymore. I don't lie awake at night racked by guilt and doubt. I can't even remember the last time that happened. And the reason for this change is that as I've been reading the Bible for myself, God has helped me internalize His commitment to me and internalize His love for me. And that experience just gives me more and more confidence in Him as I continue in this habit. The second reason why reading the Bible is important is that it's a response. We are drawn to read God's Word as a response to the work that He's done in our lives and the love and mercy He's shown us. And this really goes to our motivation. Okay? What motivates us to carve out time to read God's Word. Where does that motivation come from? Now, back in December, I, I came home from work one night, and my three-year-old daughter, Shelby, came running to the door to meet me, and she was holding this, which, if you can't see it, is a Christmas door hanger. And uh, it's made of some kind of foam, and it's got a three-eyed reindeer, so if you can't see. So this is really great. She made it for me that day, and she insisted that I take it to work and hang it on my office door. 
So how do you think I responded to my daughter? Yeah, just put her on the pile. What the other art projects? No, I, I picked her up and I, I grabbed her, I hugged her, I thanked her. I told her this was the most beautiful door hanger I'd ever seen. And I, I took it to the office and this thing was on my door until about mid-January. And you can see I kept it because it's going to be up there every other Christmas from now on. And I responded that way because that's how we're wired. When, when we see someone serve us or sacrifice for us or show us how they love us, that natural response kicks in. Our, our instinct is to respond with gratitude and affection. Um, just the idea that, that my hyper three-year-old daughter sat still for, th- for 10 minutes and made me a door hanger, just, it just melts my heart. And this same response is also true in how we relate with God. The profound work that God has done in my life, the mercy he's shown me, the blessings he's given me, they should stir up my affection for him. Uh, they should draw me to spend time talking to him and reading his word. But it doesn't usually work that way, does it? Sometimes that motivation just isn't there. That, that natural response that we feel for our, our kids and our spouses, our family members, just doesn't seem to apply. Um, and I still know all the reasons why spending time reading God's Word is a good thing, but the desire to do it just isn't there. So when this happens, the problem is really with my perspective. Something has gotten distorted in the way I think about God and see myself, and that natural, instinctive response to him just doesn't happen. So what do you do? Well, the way you fix a perspective problem is with a new perspective. So I need to recalibrate my perspective according to what the Bible says is true. I need to accurately see and feel the love and mercy God has shown me. And one passage of Scripture that helps me do that is in the book of Ephesians, which was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was a first-century church planner. But before that, Paul made a name for himself leading the persecution against the first century church. He had even presided over the execution of church leaders. But after he met Jesus, he started planning churches instead of trying to shut them down. So Paul is in a unique position to comment on how God can transform someone's life. And this is what he says in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. This is who the Bible says I was. I was spiritually dead. I wasn't just misguided or confused. I wasn't just immoral. I was dead. And I was following the course of the world. Whatever the world said was fun or valuable or important, that's what I set my course on. That's what I was chasing after. And I didn't care about God. I made fun of people who did. I was a pretty much a spiteful, angry person. That's who Adam Hoover was. So what happened? Well, Paul continues, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That is how far God has brought me. I was dead, and God saved me and brought me to life. You see, there was this impossible chasm between God and me that I couldn't cross And God reached across it and and rescued me. Not because of anything I did. I was spiritually dead. I couldn't do anything. But only because of who He is, because He's merciful. And when I reflect on that, on God's kindness in bringing a dead person to life, something happens in my heart. 
the natural response kicks in, and I feel gratitude and affection. I, I feel a desire to connect with this God who showed me mercy when I didn't deserve it. And spending time with him, talking to him, reading the Bible starts to become something I actually want to do. So that's a couple of reasons why the habit of Bible study is so important. What about how? How should we read the Bible? We're going to look at three practical ways to get traction on making this a habit. And one of my kids' favorite shows is Octonauts. Anybody seen Octonauts? Okay, it's a really good show. You should watch it. The, it's a cartoon about these little animals who live in an undersea base, and they're sort of like an emergency rescue squad for sea life. And recently, there was an episode all about blobfish. So I sat down to watch this with my kids, and if you've never seen a blobfish, that's what they look like. Yeah, that, that's real. And one of the amazing things about blobfish is that they're almost completely incapable of feeding themselves because, as you can see, they don't have any muscles. They're almost entirely made of this weird jelly material. So the way blobfish eat is they just sit on the ocean floor and wait for something edible to float by. So when a piece of food floats right up to their face, then, then they can eat. Other than that, they're out of luck. It's really easy to read your Bible like a spiritual blobfish, to just skim the passage and hope some wonderful nugget of truth just jumps out at you so you can swallow it. And, you know, to be honest, you know, sometimes that happens. But if you really want to grow closer to God, you want him to train you, you have to use the muscles God gave you to hunt down the truth and feed yourself. And we're going to talk about three hows that will help you do that. The first how is prayerfully. Read the Bible prayerfully. That might seem like a cop-out answer. Yeah, 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 prayer is important. I got it. Tell me what I'm really supposed to do. But I'm serious. Making prayer an inseparable part of your Bible reading will bring this habit to life. Because reading the Bible is a supernatural act. You're reading the Bible to interact with God, to nourish your relationship with Him. That's the purpose. The purpose is not just to increase your Bible knowledge. That will happen, but even the Bible itself says that knowledge alone just makes things worse. It puffs us up and feeds into our pride. And I'm sure we all know people who seem to be experts on the Bible, but who have no interest in knowing God. And uh, when I was in college, I was an English major, and one semester, uh, the English department offered a course on the Bible. And I'd only been a Christian for a few months, so I was excited. I thought, this is great. I get college credit for reading the Bible. I'm already a Christian, so I'll probably get at least a B. This is going to be great. <laughs> well, after the first day of class, I started to wonder what I'd gotten myself into because it was pretty clear the professor didn't believe in God and didn't believe the Bible was any sort of authority on life. And as a new Christian, that blew my mind, that someone would devote his entire professional life to studying and teaching the Bible, but not believe a word of it. That just seemed crazy to me. And he had all of these objections to the Bible that I had never heard before. He would tell us things like, well, the people you think wrote the Bible didn't actually write it, or the church has all of these secret books they don't want you to know about. I'd never heard that. And I imagine that some of you have some of those same objections. Maybe you've heard things like that. And maybe they're keeping you from accepting the Bible as any kind of authority. And if that's true, I'd encourage you to do the research. I eventually had to do my own research into those or similar issues. And personally, after I did, I didn't find them very convincing. 
but don't take allegations like that at face value. It's too important. Take the time to do the research. But I honestly don't remember what grade I got in that class, but one thing I did learn was that it is possible for me to read my Bible, learn a lot of information about God, but completely miss Him. And I don't want that. I read my Bible because I want to be closer to Him. I want Him to train me. Because you're not just reading an interesting historical document. You're reading the living words of the living God, and that's got to affect how you read it and how you interact with it. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, we read about a group of Christians who understood this. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church he'd planted in the port city of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica would have been a difficult place to be a Christian in the first century. First of all, it had this wild sexual culture, but also they were actively persecuting Christians. So you might expect a church in that kind of environment to just be sputtering along. But Paul says the people in this church had a reputation for standing firm in their hope in Jesus, and that their faith had spread out of the city, that the people in the surrounding areas were actually hearing about the strong faith of the people in this church. So what was their secret? How were they able to thrive in this kind of a culture? Paul says it's because of their attitude towards the Word of God. We read about it in chapter 2. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. The people in this church had a rich relationship with God because to them, Scripture wasn't just the words of men. It wasn't just interesting ideas about God written by men. It was the literal word of a living God, and it was at work in their lives, bringing about real change. And what they believed about Scripture empowered them to live radically different lives, and it gave them faith that thrived even in a culture that was trying to shut them down. And when that is your perspective on the Bible, it changes how you read it. So before you open your Bible, pray. Really stop and think about where you're at and ask for God's help. Ask God to help you understand what you're about to read. Ask Him to change you through reading His Word. And while you're reading, stop and pray. If a verse brings someone to mind, stop and pray for him. If a verse touches on something you're struggling with or a difficult issue in your life, stop and pray for it. And if, like everyone else, you find your mind wandering and you're getting distracted, that's okay. Just stop and pray and ask for God to help you focus. And when you're done reading, pray again. Ask God how you can apply what you've read. Ask, thank God for something that you, that you learned about Him. Prayer and Bible study don't have to be two separate things, okay? I do my Bible time, and now I do my prayer time. They can be linked together. So if reading the Bible is something you've struggled with, if it just felt dry and pointless and maybe you gave up after a few days, this is a great way to breathe new life into it. The second how is regularly. Spending time reading the Bible should be something you do regularly. This is more important than what you read or how long you read. If you really want to see the Bible change your life, then making it a regular habit is crucial. When Christians talk about having a relationship with God, that's not just a a metaphor or an illustration. God is real, and He's alive, and He's calling us to have a real relationship with Him. And just like every other relationship in your life, 
your relationship with God thrives as you spend time with Him. Now, my, my wife, Laura, and I have been married for eight years. And imagine if we went on one date a week, but we didn't talk the rest of the week. Even if it was a really good date, what kind of marriage would we have? Probably not a marriage that would bring either of us any joy. Because having a healthy marriage means finding ways to spend time together. Most nights, that's just collapsing on the couch after we tuck in our three kids, but at least we're together. So if you can only spend 10 to 15 minutes a day reading the Bible, that's great. Start there. God can speak to you in 10 minutes. But I'm so confident that God will bless that time, that you'll see God working through it, that it won't be too long before you'll be finding ways to carve out even more time and do it even more often. And what we see in the Bible is that God's people should have a lifestyle of consistent, regular reflection on God's Word. Because when the Bible was being written, they, of course, didn't have Bibles. So what they would do is they would, would read the, the Scripture from these handwritten scrolls that were held by the temple or synagogue, and they would memorize verses and sometimes even entire books. And they would spend time with God by reciting it, reflecting on it, thinking about how to apply it. And the Bible calls this meditating. And the book of Psalms in the Old Testament is a big book of songs and prayers, and it tells us a lot about meditating and the people who practice it. Actually, the very first Psalm, Psalm 1 says, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night.'" What we see here is that God's people aren't devoting time to meditating on Scripture as a mindless ritual or out of a begrudging obligation. They enjoy it. It brings them delight. Did you know that your Bible reading can be delightful? That's not a category that a lot of Christians even have. But what this verse tells us is that this delight flows from the habit of regularly reflecting on God's Word. And that's been my experience. But I'll admit, I don't read my Bible every day. Um, I hope, hope to in the future. That's something that I work towards. Um, but now I, I miss some days, you know, like Bevan said, two toddlers, a baby, some health problems, a demanding job. I, I do miss some days. Um, but when I miss a day or two days, God isn't disappointed with me. He's not angry at me. No, he, he blesses that time. Whatever the number of days is, however long it is, he blesses it and he helps me, uh, helps train me. And experiencing that fuels my desire to keep fighting for that time with him. Lastly, you need to read the Bible actively. Reading the Bible is not a passive activity. The purpose is to interact with God. So to do that, we need to engage the text. A great example of what this looks like is found in the book of Acts. And earlier we talked about um, the town of Thessalonica, what a difficult place that was. In fact, the place was so bad that Paul and his ministry partner Silas actually get chased out of town by an angry mob. And after that, they go to a town called Berea. And what Paul would do is he would go into a Jewish synagogue and start proclaiming that Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And he would do that by explaining Jesus' life and how it lived up to all these prophecies about the Messiah in Scripture. So how did the Bereans react to this? We read about it in Acts 17. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. 
They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. The Bereans were not passive readers. They rolled out their scrolls and they read scripture on a mission for the truth about Jesus. And what was the result of that search? That they knew a lot about God? That they had a really good day because they read their Bible that morning? No, the stakes are much higher than that. When the Bereans had this laser focus on hunting down the truth about God revealed in Scripture, God got involved and He multiplied the fruit. We read in verse 12, as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. That last part is amazing. These Greek women and men, they don't know anything about God. They're out there worshiping Zeus and Athena, and they came to believe in Jesus Christ? How is that possible? It's possible because the Bereans were so hungry to learn the truth about God that they took their Bible study seriously. And that overflowed out of their church into the surrounding culture, and it changed people's lives. And the same thing can be true about us. So how do you read the Bible actively? The first thing I suggest is to ask questions. Here are a few examples. How does this verse point to Jesus? What does this verse tell me about God's character? What is the context of this verse? So what's, what's the background? What's, what's going on? What other verses do I know that talk about this? And I have to confess that one of my greatest joys in life are the, um, the Marvel comic book movies. Okay, anybody else? Well, yeah, see hand. Okay, so they're so great because they're all connected, right? So they all reference each other. They reference the ones that already came out, and they're, they're building on ones that aren't going to come out for five years. And so it's really rewarding to see all the connections. Well, the Bible's the same way. It's building on thousands of years of history. And in some places, it's actually foreshadowing things that aren't going to happen for centuries. And so the way you, you read to, to discover these, these themes and these ideas that run throughout the entire Bible, and questions will help you do that. Another way to engage is to personalize it. Find your own personal way to process what you read so that you can absorb it and retain it. For example, my wife journals while she reads the Bible. She writes out thoughts about what she read and what she learned. Or you can paraphrase. So read the verse a few times and then write it out in your own words. Um, or you can take notes in your Bible. That's what I do. I have a color-coded pen system. It, it doesn't really matter what you do. Just find a, a personal and enjoyable way to process what you read. And lastly, think about application. How can you put what you read into action? In the book of James, God tells us that if we read His Word without a mind to apply it, we're deceiving ourselves. So like the believers in Thessalonica and Berea, your Bible study should be overflowing into your daily life. So think, how can I apply this? What attitude needs to change? Who does God want me to love today? Who does He want me to sacrifice for today? And if an application doesn't jump out at you, don't stress about it, but pray. Ask God to change you through what you read and to help you live it out. So tomorrow, a new week starts, a new chance to make a fresh start uh, with the habit of reading God's Word, and God Himself is committed to helping you make this a habit. 
And we want to make sure you have the tools you need. So if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and take one of those black Bibles underneath one of the chairs in front of you. Um, That's our gift to you so that you have what you need to get started on on this. And let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for your word. Um, We are so blessed that it is so accessible and that we're free to read your word anytime, anywhere. And God, please help us to, uh, to know you better through that word. Please draw our hearts to you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.